What's your problem? What is your solution? This is an interview series about solutions for people and planet. Today, so-called impact investors say they want to achieve more than good financial returns for their investments. They want their money to serve wider objectives, including fighting injustice and pollution. Impact investing is a recent trend. Since 1984, the RSF Foundation in San Francisco has focused on developing innovative social finance tools that serve unmet needs in society. In the past four decades, RSF Social Finance has invested almost a billion dollars in initiatives, projects and companies outside the scope of mainstream banks and financial institutions. RSF circulates capital to social enterprises in the interest of a more just, regenerative and compassionate world. Jasper van Bakel from the Netherlands is RSF's CEO. Van Bakel calls himself a student of finance. Welcome to Camp Solutions. You're heading uh, RSF Foundation and, and you're working on funding companies who do the good things in the world. But let's talk a little bit about why RSF is different from other financial institutions. So, I mean, any company supposedly can go to a bank and get a loan, but why would they come to you? There are several, um, several ways in which RSF social finance is different from a regular bank. So first of all, we are not a bank, so we're not regulated the way a bank is regulated. Um, and we are also fully independent as a, as a not-for-profit social enterprise. So um, if you look at the, um, yeah, just the regulatory landscape, we can do things that a bank can't do just from a regulatory perspective. Um, and, um, and we're a not-for-profit. So th those are two big differences already. Another um, significant difference, if you, if you click a, a layer deeper, is that um, for RSF social finance, everything that we do is focused on furthering a more just, more regenerative, more compassionate economy. So all the loans that we provide, all the work that we do, all the deployments, the investments, the loans, the grants that we do on, beh on behalf of our donors, um, are all focused on that one goal. And so for us, it's all about funding social enterprises um, and um, the, the values alignment, the values component is very different from a regular financial institution where it's more focused on the transaction than on the relationship and the underlying values component. So to briefly go back to where you started with the regulatory framework, I mean, these regulations exist also to protect people in society and, and you know, companies and, and banks even. So, so to say that you're not bound by these, I mean, I can see that it gives you an opportunity that's different, but you can also argue that it's actually not in the interest of, of anyone, for instance, trying to get funding for, for an enterprise. Theoretically, I see your point. And if we go back to 2008, 2009, we'll see that within that regulatory framework, banks can do things that are really not in the interest of, their, um, of the people who have a savings account there or of the people who invested in the bank. Um, and so um, I think the, the, 
we're, we're clearly seeing how the financial system and the way that it's regulated is on the one hand designed to protect, but on the other hand, it's, it's really by design also a system that is both extractive um, as well as focused on, on maximizing shareholder value and not necessarily focused on providing the best um, types of credit with the best credit quality um, to enterprises that really make the world a better place. So I'm not arguing that a bank can make a great loan to a wonderful organization. Of course they can. And yes, there are protective elements in the regulatory framework of, of a bank, um, what RSF is able to do is to provide loans where a bank may not be able to provide those um, because of, of those regulations. But we see um, risk on the one hand in a very traditional way, on the other hand, also um, as, as part of the, yeah, part of the relationship. So the relationship with a client is part of how we look at the, the uh, credit worthiness, so to say, of a partner. And that enables us to be more creative and more flexible in what we can do um, than what a, a very traditional financial player is able to do. So one more thing about this. You yeah. know, the, the, who oversees um, the, the RSF institution as such? We have roughly two offerings, as we call them, right? On the one hand, we have our main loan fund, the social investment fund, out of which we make loans to social enterprises. That is regulated under so-called blue sky regulations in every single U.S. state um, and also in Canada. Um, and then we have donor advised funds and our philanthropic services activities, which are so we, we um, uh, steward philanthropic capital on behalf of our clients, right? We are not an endowed foundation. Um, we are a financial intermediary that stewards the money on behalf of the donor clients. And there are um, regulations in place, you know, IRS regulations and also state and federal regulations around, um, around donor advised funds and philanthropic services. And then who oversees um, RSF? So we have a board um, and the board is ultimately responsible, um, has a fiduciary responsibility for, for what the organization does. And uh, of course we have auditors who audit the financials. So all of that is, is um, you know, and has for a very long time been um, uh, subject to significant oversight from various bodies. Yes, and in a way, you know, it's more, of course, we can always make loans to each other. I can borrow, you know, exactly. I can loan you money to yeah. do anything yeah. and, and, and we can sort of privately organize that the way we like that. So there's right. no need for oversight there. And I suppose in a way you have kind of institutionalized something along these very informal lines. Would that be a way to, to look at RSF? Yeah, one way to look at RSF is that we are, working like a bank the way you would explain what a bank does to a child, right? So some people have savings, yeah. have some money that they don't need right now. And other people have needs because they need to buy a new machine or they want to buy a school building or, you know, whatever it is. 
and they want to borrow that money. And we are the intermediary sitting in the middle and it's literally dollar for dollar, right? Which is also different from a bank that has a multiplier. Um, but for us, it's we, we um, steward the savings of mostly individuals and then turn around and make loans to social enterprises. Um, it's, it's a very basic, simple function of what a financial intermediary should be doing. Mm -hmm. Whereas today, most of the money in the financial industry is not made using this simple principle, but it is made in, you know, with asset management and, you know, all kinds of speculative activities. Now, we have a whole department of people um, um, at RSF who mostly have banking backgrounds who look at the credit worthiness of our prospective borrowers and who, you know, provide support to, um, to the borrowers as well. Um, so in terms of the skills that are, that are needed to make really good, smart credit decisions to make sure that the money that um, the individuals entrust us with their savings, so to say, um, doesn't evaporate because we're making bad credit decisions. I mean, that's a very solid process. Um, yeah. It is, um, and and I think it is. It's it's a back to basics, if you will, um, yeah. in in letting values driven supply of capital meet a values driven demand for capital. So. RSF, you know, has two letters that refer to Rudolf Steiner, and he was a German philosopher, thinker, author, you know, many things, but inspired, of course, also many developments from agriculture to, indeed, this financial institution that you're leading. So what is the particular contribution philosophy, then, if you go back to the roots? So... Um the, the lineage of RSF social finance goes back indeed to um, our founders in the 1980s being inspired by Rudolf Steiner's economic thinking, in particular associative economics and social threefolding. And um, that is why they chose the name Rudolf Steiner Foundation um, so Steiner was neither the founder, nor did he leave us any money. It was our founders um, of the organization were inspired by his economic thinking. And that is the extent to which um, there is a, a connection to this body of thought um, that Steiner developed about 100 years ago. Um, and for us as an organization, it's really about... Um, you know, about, about the inspiration that comes from looking at, at economic relationships in a different way. Today, a lot, of, um, a lot of people talk about stakeholder economics or stakeholder capitalism. It's a, it's a different way of talking about associative economics, which back in the 1980s and certainly in the 1920s when Steiner talked about it in Europe was a very innovative, a very novel idea. And so, the, the body of ideas, which is not exclusive to Rudolf Steiner, right? There are a lot of people who, who have contributed to this. It really goes to one central tenet, which means that um, if in economic life, um, we center around the principle of partnership and collaboration rather than competition or 
you know, um, applying the, the, the principle of freedom to all um, markets, hoping that the invisible hand will, will, will fix everything, that we will get very different outcomes. So the, 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 the basic thoughts that were at the, or basic inspirations that were at the center of RSF's inception in the 1980s was um, or were, what if we center around relationships in ec economic life rather than anonymous transaction? What if we recognize that in every economic um, uh, relationship, there, it, it's about human beings who are making something possible because they collaborate rather than an invisible hand that somehow regulates the market and will lead to better outcomes for everybody because everybody tries to maximize self-interest. Um, so this is really about, it's about collaboration in the interest of everybody rather than um, um, competition and focusing on, on maximizing self-interest. That's the connection back to um, uh, the, the impulse of our founders. Yes, thank you. So let's talk about the people or the, 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 the companies, the enterprises, the social enterprises you give loans to, RSF yeah. gives loans to. But how often would it happen that you say, well, you know, we like the business case, but actually, you know, the kind of values you stand for are not ours. Yeah, it happens. It, it happens. Um, it, it certainly does. Not on a daily basis, um, uh, thankfully. But it does happen, and um, it, it's usually because an organization that we um, that we supported for some time um, gets, you know, new outside equity investment. Um, a fund steps in, you know, basically takes over. Uh, there's new leadership. Um, a company takes a new direction. Um, and there are several examples of, of, of relationships that at some point we just said, well, we helped them to get from A to B, and now it's really up to somebody else to help get them from B to C. We are not the right partner anymore for this, for this organization based on their change in focus and their change in priorities. If, if then ultimately that very nice initiative says, um, well, we want to go to the New York Stock Exchange, we want to do an IPO, which sure. basically means entering the very world RSF doesn't want to be in. And if arguably, my point, you know, should not have funded something that ends up there. It's an interesting case. So we, so there are a couple of elements. Let me unpack that. So. Um, yes, we are earlier stage, but not super early stage. Um, so we start alone for us starts at $250,000, $300,000. We require a few years of operating history, you know, pretty much profitability. So we're not a startup funder. So there's a, there could be a reason in terms of life stage for us to say we are not the right partner anymore. But to your earlier point, there could also be a values um, um, issue there. And um, there are several examples in which we asked the borrower to leave the portfolio because there was no longer a match with the values that our investors and RSF as an organization stand for and our whole community stands for. So that also happens. 
The other aspect I want to respond to in your question is if an organization IPOs, it's going you know, over to the dark side. Um, that is in many cases um, true, I would argue. And there's also an interesting element of um, the public, you know, you and me and everybody holding shares in an organization, right? So I don't want to say any, any public company um, is bad by nature of, of its shares being held by the public. The question is, who are the shareholders? What are they doing? What, how are things structured um, there? But there, there are some really interesting, innovative concepts around ownership and, um, and governance that can be applied also to public companies that allow a company to remain true to its mission and its purpose um, uh, while maintaining the ability to raise money from the public markets. Would you consider the idea of the B Corp such a concept? So B Corp, um, RSF was a was an, an, a very early partner in the B Corp uh, movement uh, and the benefit corporation movement. We are a not for profit, so we're not a B Corp ourselves. Um, I think B Corp is a really important step, and the, the 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 B Corp score that companies need to do, I think, is a really important metric in addition to financial metrics to hold management accountable, for shareholders to look at. Uh, for clients to look at. I think it's a really important movement. I believe that the, the, the crux, the tipping point will only be achieved if the decision-making power in a company um, rests with multiple stakeholders and not only with the shareholder. And so that a company's destiny and the ultimate strategic decisions can really follow the mission rather than the self-interest of individual stakeholders. You made the interesting observation that it can be, you know, at some point in time that you know, the values begin to, to separate uh, parties like yeah. you know, the original loan recipient, uh, that enterprise moves in a different direction. And you could say we need yeah. to part ways, as you said, Yep. But, you know, if that means that, say, that enterprise over time has maybe received a loan that could, the, the value of the loan, the, the amount of the loan could be a million dollars by that time. Sure. And then yep. you can say, well, we want to part ways. Well, how do you get your money back then? Yeah, this is not something that happens overnight. Um, these are conversations. This is, there's a timeline. And if that happens, which, again, is not something that happens, you know, very often, um, it's a conversation. It's a series of conversations of saying, hey, we're, we're seeing that we're drifting apart and, and we believe it's, it's, it's probably best for you to go find somebody else to, um, to refinance this loan. And that is what then almost always happens. Um, so somebody else takes over the loan and, um, uh, and then pays off um, RSF. Yep. Let's talk about your failure rate. I mean, how... You know, how, how well do you do, I mean, in terms of bad loans? Yes. So um, over the lifetime of the social investment fund, um, which is our main loan fund out of which we do um, uh, loans to social enterprises, that fund has been around since 1984 um, and um, has always repaid its principal plus interest back to its investors. So... Um, if 
anybody, you know, over the course of that 37 years would have put money into the fund and would have taken it out. They wouldn't have lost a dime. Um, they would have actually made a little bit of money off of the interest rate um, that, uh, that RSF pays to the investors in the fund. Now, that's the perspective of the investors in the fund. That doesn't mean that sometimes a loan doesn't go um, you know, less optimal or go bad, right? It happens. And um, that's it. so what we do is we put money aside in reserves to make sure that, um, that we can afford to from, you know, once in a while can afford to lose um, a loan or a certain portion of a loan. Fortunately, it's the exception, um, even through COVID, um, we've had a number of, of organizations in our portfolio that ran into cash flow issues and business model issues um, that we were able to support um, and um, have been flexible with, but um, we have fortunately not seen um, losses in the portfolio by organizations going bankrupt and not being able to repay anything. Now, what helps is that all of our loans have some collateral, which is a technical term of there's an asset behind the loan that if the organization would go bankrupt, they sell the building that they used the loan for um, in the first place, or they sell the equipment, or there's inventory, or there's cash somewhere. Is there any percentage you could give, like, okay, from all the loans you've given, usually out of 100, one goes wrong, or, or out of 1,000? What, what, do you know anything like that? Yeah, it's a very low percentage, very, very, very low. Um, yeah. We've seen a few um, in the 2008-2009 crisis, um, and as I said, um, so far none um, in the portfolio in the COVID crisis, which is really a testament for just really good, solid relationships and, um, and, and good management of the fund. Tell me, what a, is a favorite example of a loan for you? And I guess that relates to the kind of company that you gave it to. Favorite loans um, um, include the loans that we do using the integrated capital approach, which is a blended capital, kind of a layered um, capital approach that, um, um, that I'm happy to explain. Um, so integrated capital for us means putting different types of capital to use to support the social enterprise. That can be a, a traditional loan out of the social investment fund um, it can be um, a technical grant out of one of the philanthropic funds that, that we, uh, we manage. It can be an equity investment um, out of one of the philanthropic funds that we manage. It can be um, human capital. So it's the relationship aspect. And it can be social capital. So connecting entrepreneurs and, um, and organizations with investors, strategic partners, supply chain partners um, in the field. So that entire concept is really something that, that we, we are uh, very proud of and, and very, you know, very much looking for um, as a way to add much more value than writing a check. And that is also- You initiate, you initiate that. You exactly, initiate that yes, product. yes, okay. we initiated that, yeah, yeah. What would you say uh, from, your much broader perspective on business. Um, 
what are the successful ingredients for you know a good social enterprise? What 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 do you need? So what you need is a the absolute conviction that your mission, your purpose, is making a difference in the world because it's um, it's hard work and um, there are virtually no social entrepreneurs who start their business with the sole purpose to get rich. They would choose a different path. So it is, um, it, it's from that perspective, not, certainly not the easiest path. So there needs to be a real conviction that the mission and the purpose matter. And then it's about putting together a team that is as driven as they are that are gonna make it happen and that will lean over backwards to make it happen, that are values driven, but that also um, really have the, the, um, the skill set and the expertise that is needed to be successful in a very competitive marketplace. Because we can say and really believe in the principle of collaboration as the leading idea in economic life to get to different outcomes than what we're seeing all around us. In reality, there just is a lot of competition, right? Nobody operates in a vacuum. So um, customers have choice, they have a lot of choice, and we need to make sure that we offer them something that stands out in the competitive marketplace. That is the case for social entrepreneurs. It is the case for RSF, it's the case for everybody. So um, as a social enterprise, uh, a, a critical success factor is to have the skills and the expertise that are needed in that particular market or that particular industry in order to succeed. It's not where it starts. I think it starts from the, the mission focus and the relentless passion for the purpose. And it becomes successful because there's the expertise and the skill um, to, to execute it in a way so that it resonates with people and, um, um, and can be sustainable. And then the, the third factor I would say is you need to attract the right kind of capital. There are many examples of social entrepreneurs who somehow um, got involved with capital that isn't really focused on their mission or their purpose, is really focused on accumulating more wealth for the investor. And while um, an investor making some money off of an investment is definitely not a bad thing, you know, don't get me wrong there. Um, it should not be the sole thing that drives all the decisions um, that are being made in the social enterprise. How often do you talk in these enterprises that you're, you, you, you meet over time? How often do you talk with people who have MBA degrees from business schools? Quite a lot. It's increasingly the case. Uh, increasingly the case. Um, I don't think an MBA degree from, a, you know, or a business school degree is necessary to have the right skills and right um, expertise. Um, and at the same time, um, people coming out of those business schools do have certain basics that will that are helpful. So I don't think it's a it's a it's a necessary condition um, for, uh, for folks in social enterprises to have MBAs. 
but it's increasingly something that we encounter. And I think it's, um, it's usually helpful um, to have that, that level of skill set. You talked about collaboration as a, you know, as a fundamental principle for, for your, you know, the, the way RSF functions and the loans you give. Doesn't that include, or shouldn't that include a collaborative uh, relationship with nature rather than a, yeah, even sustaining or maintaining whatever, all these or regenerating very active yeah. words rather than being part of. I think if we, if we want to address the, the planetary emergency that we're in and be effective in addressing it, um, then we don't have a choice. We, we need to stop either doing things or not doing things, right? It's, um, uh, you know, polluting less is, you know, it's less bad, um, sure. But that's not what's what's necessary. I do think that you know the 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 concept of collaboration for me also includes the regenerative, um, the concept of regeneration. And one example there is the the regenerative um, aspect of grazing um, as it um, as it's developed and, and practiced around the world now, actually, um, where through interventions you know it's like it's it's provided providing a healing impulse basically to the planet but they're active interventions um, recognizing that the patient needs treatment it doesn't the patient doesn't only need to be left alone but also needs treatment in a collaborative um, way um, to support regeneration and you know to, to prevent further um, desertification, to prevent um, more wildfires, you know, more flooding, et cetera, et cetera. So there, I think there, there are, or I think I am seeing some, a, a number of really um, um, hopeful impulses around um, conscious interventions that help regeneration and that come from a collaborative spirit. Um, the, you know, the, the, the whole idea of, well, can we go from a fully gas powered car to an electric car? That's incremental, right? And I'm not saying that it's not a good step, but the, the, the real question is how do we stop driving so much, right? How do we, what, what can we do um, that is not just polluting less, but that addresses either the root cause or provides a healing impulse um, to the planet. Finally, Jasper, um, if you were the king of the world for just a moment and you could change one rule in capitalism, what would you do? I would scrap um, that shareholder maximization is the ultimate goal of, um, of business. I think that I, I would um, remove that and what I would put um, in place in the place of that is that um, the decisions um, in a company um, are made not only by the people having the money. I think that is, it's one of the root causes of Many issues we see today, both environmentally and socially, it is that the power 
is always connected to the money and vice versa. Money can promote collaboration. It can heal relationships. A more just world may very well begin with a better understanding of how to use money for the common good. Jasper van Brakel and RSF Social Finance are leading the way. This was Camp Solutions. See you again soon. Mm -hmm.